who died on the cross still has the power to save souls today. Kids, you can go to Children's Church. Uh, You can go ahead and go. I appreciate that. I am thankful. It's always wonderful to hear testimony of somebody. And I think about my pastor growing up, even Pastor Joe here that, you know, they got saved later in life. You know, they were involved in, you know, alcohol and all kinds of things. And the Lord saved them out of the pit of hell, you know. Uh, and uh, that's always a wonderful testimony. But I'm thankful the Lord kept me from that stuff. I got saved at a young age. Uh, I'm thankful that I never touched a drop of liquor. I'm thankful for that. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage. And some of y'all probably know this already. My wife is the only girlfriend I ever had. The only girl I ever kissed is my wife. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about that. You know, we're, it's, that's a wonderful thing, you know, that you don't have to worry about, you know, does he, you know, does he, does he wish he could go back to his ex or something like that. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I'm thankful that the Lord may not have pulled me out of a life of sin like he's done for some, but he's kept me out of it. And I think that's a wonderful testimony. Uh, and I, I, I want that for my children. i just be honest with you. I'd much rather the Lord keep them out of sin than try to have to pull them out of it. Uh, and I'm thankful uh, for my salvation and what the Lord's done for me in my life. And I, I want to encourage some of you parents. Now, I don't know if a lot of kids are sick or what's going on, but we're missing quite a few today, uh, the little ones. But uh, the kids have this habit of coming home. Uh, and in case you're unaware, on a normal Sunday, uh, me and uh, us and the, the Newtons take turns doing children's church. But on a normal Sunday, like this month, my wife would teach Sunday school to the children, and then I would teach children's church to the children, and then at lunch we ask them, Levi, what did you learn at church today? I don't know. And I'm like, we know you had a lesson. In, we taught you. You had a lesson in Sunday school. You had a lesson in children's church. What did you learn? I don't know. Well, what would you have for a snack? Now, they can tell you what they have for a snack. <laughs> They'll tell you all about snack time. Uh, but I do believe kids are picking up and learning uh, more than we realize. Uh, a kid came home from Sunday school and his mama asked him, well, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And the child said, mama, we learned God's real name. And he said, mama said, well, what's, what's God's real name? And he said, mama, God's real name is Howard. And she said, Howard, what are you talking about? And, she, and the little boy said, yep. She said, we, he said, we learn our father, which art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Uh, sometimes they misunderstand. It's like uh, I heard also a little boy went up to the preacher and gave him a dollar and said, preacher, I want to give you my last dollar. And the preacher you know, was touched and said, well, son, um, why would you want to give me your last dollar? And uh, he said, last Sunday at lunch, my daddy said, you are the poorest preacher we've ever had. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, you got to watch out. Them children to tell you everything in Sunday school. You got to watch out prayer time. So, uh, but we're, I'm thankful for uh, the ability to, to work with the kids and the teens. And I'm also thankful when I get the opportunity to preach. And this morning, we are going to talk about uh, the title of the message is, Why Are You Here? Now, this is not an existential, why are we on earth? It's, why are you here today? Why do you come to church? 
Why do we show up at 305 Weisenbaker Road at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning uh, to be at church? Or why should we be here? Uh, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray before we open God's Word. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray you be with our pastor and his family as they're away. Pray that you'd keep them safe. Uh, help them to enjoy their time away, Lord, and I pray that you would bless them. I pray you be with us this morning as we open your word. pray that you'll fill me with your spirit. Help me to speak where I need to speak and be silent where I need to be silent. And I pray that we'll be able to take something from your word uh, that we can use in our lives. And I pray if there's someone here this morning, uh, they don't know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. I pray they'll get that settled. Lord, I pray that nobody would leave here this morning not sure of their eternal destination, Lord. Just be with us, bless us, help us to serve you and do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to start in Isaiah 43, but we're going to do a lot of turning, okay? Uh, we're going to do some sword drill preaching this morning, right? We're going to do a lot of turning to a bunch of different verses. Uh, we'll do that this morning and then tonight. If you don't like that, come back tonight. We're going we're gonna to go through a chapter. We're going to stay in that chapter. So you're going to get two different types of preaching. Uh, if you don't like this morning, come back tonight. Maybe you'll like that. And if not, then you just have to call Pastor Joe. Tell him it's time to get a new one. All right? Uh, it'll be okay either way. Uh, we're going to start in Isaiah 43. So why are we here? Why do we come to church on Sunday morning? Why do we show up or why should we show up? Well, let's start in Isaiah 43, starting in verse 5, 5 through 7. He says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up to the south, keep not back, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. We are created for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And when we come to church, we should glorify God or bring glory to God. And we're going to talk about how we do that. First of all, we do that by worship, by worshiping him. Go to the book of John, chapter 4. The book of John, chapter 4, 21 through 24. It says this, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we talked about praise. We sang, we come into his house with thanksgiving in our heart and we praise, right? We give him praise. And we talk about praise. A lot of times in today's culture, praise and worship get lumped together, right? Because that's, we listen to praise and worship music, praise and worship. But I want you to understand there is a difference. Praise is a, an excitement because we are thankful for what God has done, right? David danced with praise because uh, the Ark of the Covenant had come back home, right? That was praise. That was uh, a, a showing our thankfulness for what God has done. When we worship, worship is a recognition of who God is, okay? Worship is a recognition of who 
God is. And one of my favorite passages, we're not going to take the time to turn and read all of this, is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision, right? And he sees God on the throne and smoke fills the temple and the train uh, of his robe fills the temple showing the glory and the authority and the majesty of God. And around the throne of God are, are angels and they're flying around and they have six wings, okay? And they cover their face with two wings, they cover their feet with two wings, and the Bible says, and with two wings they did fly, and they, they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And uh, the angels cover their face with two wings because even the angels are not worthy to look upon a holy God. They cover their feet with two wings because there is to be nothing in his presence uh, that, that would uh, be, be dirty in, in the presence of God, and they cover their feet and then they fly and they cry, holy, holy, holy to the triune God. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of who God is. And he immediately begins to worship. He falls on his face. And we're going to see several verses uh, and look at what worship, true worship, looks like. But it's a recognition of who God is, and it will lead to humility and repentance. That is the natural destination of worship. The natural destination of praise is excitement. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. That's exciting. You may jump around, or, you know, some people say, well, I'm not an emotional person. But you let them watch a Georgia football game or an Alabama football game. Remember Brother Newton's and Brother Allen's in the back. They all of a sudden, they, they become a little more uh, excitable people. Uh, but praise leads to excitement. Worship leads to humility. Worship leads to repentance. Does anybody know what Isaiah said? When he got a glimpse of God, he said, woe is me. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips. His immediate response to seeing who God was, was to repent of his sin. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. Right? He immediately begins to worship, which leads to Humility and repentance. You cannot worship God with your nose stuck up in the air. We should understand that. See, a lot of times we come to church and we can't even enjoy a service because all we want to do is look around. We want to look, look for problems. What did you see? What she was wearing. I cannot believe her husband let her leave the house looking like that. Did you see what he was wearing? Did his wife see him before he left the house? Looked like he was going to the going to the to the to, to do yard work. What's he showing up to church looking like that for? Did you see that way they were sitting? I wonder if they're having marital problems. Look at them too. The way they look at them. We want to talk about people. We want to look at what other people. Did you see the way he was looking? Did you see what that teenager was wearing? I would have never let my teenager walk out the door wearing that. Let me go ahead and tell you, you didn't come to church to worship if that's your attitude the whole time you're sitting in church. I'm just letting you know, worship don't lead to pride. Worship don't lead to, well, let me tell you, I wouldn't, I sure wouldn't look like that. I wouldn't let my teenager leave the house looking like that. I, I, let me tell you how I would have done it if I would have been in charge. Let me go ahead and tell you, worship leads to humility and repentance. I, I, I put this down. 
You cannot worship God while looking down on others. You understand that? You cannot worship God while looking down on others. It's the same concept that Jesus said. You can't hate your brother and love God. If you hate your brother and say you love God, you're a liar is what the Bible says. Mm. I'll go ahead and tell you. One of the quickest ways to start a fight around where I'm from is to call somebody a liar. I, listen, that's harsh words. You don't just call somebody a liar. Because I'm going to tell you, in my house, if I got caught lying, I know I'm being recorded. I got disciplined. I'll say that, okay? I got disciplined. You didn't get caught lying. Why? Because that's a serious thing. But God says, if you hate your brother and say you love God, you're a liar. Let's look at some more about worship. And we're going to do some quick turning here, okay? Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Joshua 5, 14. And he said, Nay, this is Joshua, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servants? This is Joshua. He'd been put in charge by Moses. He was in control of the military. He was in control of millions of people. This was Joshua. And when he meets up with Christ, when he meets up with the leader of the army of the Lord, what does he do? He falls on his face. And he worships. And he says, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'll do. That's humility. It, it, it takes humility to look at somebody and say that. Joshua falls to his face. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. And Jehoshaphat, the king, the king, bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The king of the Israel, of Israel, the king of the Jews, the king uh, who had all the authority, who had all the power, what does he do? He falls on his face before a holy God to worship. The book of Job, chapter 1, verse 20. Job chapter 1, verse 20. says, and then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his, fe- his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Job, uh, who could argue one of the most righteous men, uh, to live, especially uh, compared to a lot of times, a lot of people nowadays, a righteous man, uh, when he had lost everything, lost his children, lost his money, the only thing he didn't lose, which he probably could have lost, was that wife who just looked at him and said, curse God and die, right? Yeah, he, it, he'd have probably been better off without her. Lost everything, and what does he do? Even in mourning, he falls on his face and he worships and says, you know what? I didn't have nothing when I came in this world. Everything I had come from God. And when I leave, I'll have nothing but God. And that's okay. He fell on his face and worshiped. Matthew chapter 2. Even in the New Testament. This is not just Old Testament. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 
verse 11. Looking at uh, the, uh, the, 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 the wise men who came to find Jesus. This is, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Right? They came, and these were men with means. These were not, you know, shepherds. These were not lowly shepherds. These were men with means and with money and with authority. And they find the Christ, and they fall down, and they worship. Revelation chapter 7. The book of Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, says, After this... I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. I've heard it said, people said, hey, I went to church and I got my worship on. Right? And it's funny to say, but we understand that's not true. Our churches today are lacking in worship. True worship. Where we take the time to see who God is, and be willing to humble ourselves and admit that we are not always right, that we are not perfect, and that even as Christians, we need to confess our sins to God so that He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins, right? We need to be willing to come to church for worship. You shouldn't come to church just because... Grandma went to church, mama went to church, I go to church. We go to church because we're supposed to go to church. You shouldn't come to church because you want to see who's doing what. I want to see who's wearing what. And I want to make sure the preacher's not, you know, running things the way I don't want him to run things. And I got to make, I got to keep things in track. That's not what we come to church for. We should come to church to worship, to, to talk to God. And we should be doing that throughout the week. I want to get ahead of myself. But we come to church to worship him and then to get spiritual revival to serve him throughout the week. Psalm 122, verse 1. Psalm 122. We're going to get there. Psalm 122, verse 1 says this. This verse y'all should all be pretty familiar with. It says, I will... Nope, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, I was glad when it was time to go to church. Listen, we're all guilty of it. We all deal with the flesh. But if every Sunday you wake up and say, oh, I reckon I got to go to church. I don't want Miss So-and-So talking bad about me. So if I don't go, it's just easier to go. I mean, if that's your attitude every Sunday... There is a problem. There's an issue. Why? He says, be excited. Why? Because that is where we're going to go for encouragement. The the church should give us spiritual energy to go out and serve the Lord throughout the week. Don't be that parent. Don't be that parent who comes to church, 
picks up your children, gets in the car, decide where you want to go to lunch, and the whole time you're driving home or driving to lunch, you're talking bad about the people at church. Well, let me tell you about that preacher. Let me tell you about Miss So-and-so. Let me tell you about that Sunday school teacher. Let me tell you, if there was any other decent church in Effingham County, that's where I'd be going. I reckon we're stuck going to Rinkin Baptist Temple. And then wonder why your children don't want nothing to do with church. I mean, this isn't common. I mean, this is common sense. This is not deep theological stuff that I'm throwing out there. In case you've not met me, I'm not a deep guy generally. Okay? I'm pretty much a common sense kind of person. And common sense says you can't consistently badmouth the preacher, badmouth the youth pastor, badmouth the, the worship leader, badmouth the Sunday school teacher, badmouth the deacons, badmouth the trustees, badmouth sister so and so, talk bad about the teenagers because they didn't dress the way you thought they should dress, they didn't look the way you thought they should look, and consistently do that and then wonder why don't my children get more excited about going to church? I mean, it's just, this, this, it starts with us. It's our job. And men, the Bible actually says it's the Father's job to raise the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me tell you why I believe one of the reasons that our country is in a mess is because men have dropped the ball. Listen, I think mom, we just had Mother's Day. I love my mama. My mama had a big impact in my life. I'm not negating the effects of a, of a loving, godly, praying mama. I want you to understand that. I'm not talking bad about mamas. But I believe we have men who have dropped the ball. We have men who have forsaken their job of making sure their children are in church and not just in church. Because I just go ahead and tell you. I've, I've, I've talked to parents, I've dealt with parents, their teenager fly, falls off the deep end, and they want to know why the youth pastor didn't do a better job teaching their children what was right. And I'm like, listen, I get them one hour a week. I don't know what you want me to do with them one hour a week when you've got them all the other time. It is, it is our job as parents to teach our children. And, and if you're a grandparent, it's your job as a grandparent. I was taught things by my papa that I still remember that he taught me 30 years ago. I still remember things that my papa taught me. It is our job to teach the younger generation to be excited about coming to church, to worship. And once we come to church and get our spiritual uplifting, it's our duty to go and serve outside the church. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, 13 through 16. He says, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Let me go ahead and tell you, it's not enough to be a good Christian on Sunday and then live like the devil six days a week. Just like I go and tell you, I read something that one of my Facebook friends posted about Mother's Day. And it said something to the tune of this. If you really want to give that... Mother in your life something for Mother's Day. 
How about you do a load of dishes or fold a load of laundry or vacuum the floor or sweep the floor or take the kids for an hour and let her take a nap? Or, and I'm like, why aren't these men doing this all the time? That sounds like basic stuff. Like, I don't understand why we got to, you got to tell a man to take care of the youngins one day a year so his wife can take an hour nap. Come on. Listen, we got Christians. They only want to act like a Christian one day a week. That's not going to cut it. That's, that's not going to work. Want to know why the world is going the way it's going? It's not the government. It's not the public school system. It's because Christians have stopped acting like Christians six days out of the week. It's because we have not done the job we need to do to teach our children the importance of Christ and the importance of trusting and obeying God. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And a part of that is because we don't worship. If you really spent the time to think about who God is and what he's done for you, it would be a whole lot easier to talk about him to your children. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sounds like today. But after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. We as Christians need to take our job as evangelists and ambassadors of Christ more seriously. You see, when we get saved, God doesn't take us to heaven. Why? Because we have a job. It is our job to be salt and to be light in a dark world. Uh, Sometimes I forget how dark this church gets. Uh, And uh, Brother Guy came in. uh, And I, listen, me and Pastor Joe, if you want to get one of us on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, leave something in the middle of the hallway. We will definitely find it and fall over it because we just come. I mean, it's dark. We, 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 we just walk. We're walking. We're going through here. We're going through here. We're going through the hallway. Uh, and guys, like, brother, can we turn on the light? I said, I said, oh, yeah, sorry. I forget that not everybody uh, is, is comfortable. But you understand, there are a lot of people in this world, they're, they're looking for a light. Looking for a light. It's sad to me the number of people in this world who think suicide is their only hope to end the pain. They live their life in darkness. No one ever shows them love. No one ever shows them compassion. No one ever explains to them that there is a holy God who loves them enough to send his son down to die on the cross and pay for their sins. No one takes the time while we're all so busy. We got our own stuff going on. I got to work. I got bills to pay. You want me to take the time to speak love and speak kindness into some stranger's life? No one's doing that for me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just doing it on my own. 
It's our job to share the gospel. There are people in this, there are people in this county. If they died right now, they'd split hell wide open. I'm not talking about Africa. I'm not talking about South America. I'm not talking about up there where all them Yankees live. I'm talking about right here in the Bible Belt in Effingham County. There are people every day who die and they don't go to heaven. Why? Because they've never accepted Christ as their Savior. And it's possible. I got an uncle who grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And he was 27 the first time he walked into a church, heard the gospel. That's hard for us to imagine. 27 the first time he walked into a church, heard the gospel. There are people around us every day that are in pain, that are hopeless, that are struggling. And listen, there are people in this room who are struggling. They might even feel hopeless sometimes. Then They might even feel like everybody I know would be better off if I just wasn't here. Well, let me go ahead and tell you, that don't come from God. Why? Because God loves us. And he sent his son down to die on the cross to pay for us. Why? For God so loved the world. That's all of us. You think nobody loves me, nobody cares? That's not true. God loves you. God cares. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? To die on the cross. So that whosoever shall believe on him have everlasting life. And if you're here this morning, I'm just going to tell you, if you're here this morning, and you say, Brother Forrest, if, if I were to die right now, I was talking to my aunt and uncle. And they were helping a family, uh, a, a, a lady with a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. And her husband, who is in uh, his 40s, was in a jet ski accident and drowned. And the 14-year-old was there and was able to see it happen, saw her daddy drown. Listen, I'll go ahead and tell you. When you're in your 40s and you're out in the bay there in Panama City and you're riding the jet skis, you're not thinking about eternity. Just like that. Just like that. We never know when it's going to be our time. And I just go ahead and tell you, if you're here this morning, you don't know that if you stepped out into eternity, you'd go to heaven. You need to get that settled. That's not something you want to play with. That's not something you want to question. That's not something you want to gamble with is your eternity. And it's our job as the church to go and tell people about Christ. Not only that, do we come to church to worship, but we come to church to edify the body of Christ. Let's look at that, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. 12 through 16, if you're taking notes. It says this, it says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, right? Edifying means to lift up. We are the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive us. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love from whom the whole body 
fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's so many things in this passage. Edifying, lifting up the body of Christ. Then it says that we need to come in unity. Listen, when you're striving for unity, you don't sow discord. I love my wife. I want to be unified with my wife. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're better off to live on the corner of a house, right, than with a brawling woman. I want there to be unity in my household. So you know what I don't do? I don't walk into my house and say, hey, babe, have you gained some weight? (laughs) Yeah. Why? Because I want unity in my household. I don't walk into the house and say, hey, babe, I I noticed that trash needed to be taken out this morning. What you been doing all day? You don't do that. Why? Because you want unity in my marriage. I want unity in my household. Ladies, you don't don't go home, uh, you know, as soon as your husband walks in the door and say, hey, babe, you've been been going a long time working all day. We should have more money in the bank. (laughs) That's a good way if your husband walks in, right? Yeah, you, you don't, you don't, why? Because we want unity in our marriage. So there's, so we learn to be kind. We learn uh, to speak to each other in ways that's respectful and loving. And guess what? The church should be unified. And we're going to look at some verses about that here in just a second. Unified unity. Then he says, be no more children. Listen, there are some, I've been, 16 years in the ministry, and there have been times I've looked at my wife uh, uh, after we've dealt with a situation with adults, and I've said, babe, I feel like I'm dealing with children. Like this issues, I expect, I expect this drama from teenagers. I do not expect it from people old enough to be my parents and grandparents. Right? I mean, there, it is difficult sometimes. The Bible says that we should... Be constantly growing in grace, and our maturity level in Christ should be growing. He says, be no more children, so that you're taught. So every wind of doctrine. Listen, uh, one thing I love about kids, you can convince them of just about anything. If you will just say it with enough confidence. Right? That's why we have certain things that, that, uh, that come on certain holidays, and they're convinced that magic is what makes it happen. I, they're convinced of it. You can I, listen. You can. I could. I could convince Levi that I saw a twelve-point buck. I could convince him of it. All it would take is just me saying, "Listen, bud, I'm t- this was the biggest deer," and it, it wouldn't take me long to convince him that I had seen a twelve-point buck in Effingham County. Right? It wouldn't take. <coughs> uh, you could take one of them four-year-old children, and you could convince them that you have a unicorn at the house. So I'm telling you, I got a unicorn at the house. And if you say it with enough uh, uh, vibrance, I'm telling you, you could, and they've been telling their mom, Mama, we need to go to their house. They got a unicorn. Why? You can convince children of just about anything. But we as adults, we shouldn't be swayed by new doctrine. We should know what the Bible says. And we should know why we believe what we believe. There, there shouldn't be a question. We shouldn't be constantly getting tricked by false teachers. And it says getting tossed to and fro by the slight of men. Somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody said something to me that wasn't quite true. Cunning, craftiness. And then it says speaking the truth 
in love. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's kind. Listen, there are plenty of times. I've, I've even said it to Pastor Joe once or twice. I, I may just have to tell them what I think of them. I just go ahead and tell you. I'm tired of it, right? Uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I've had to stop myself because then I've said this. Well, I'd be speaking the truth, but it wouldn't be in love. So I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut. Why? Because, you know, Mama said if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, right? Uh, that's the way it is sometimes. And there's a lot of Christians who think that they're validated in speaking the truth even though there is no love in their truth. Why? Because when you love someone, your desire for them is to grow and to be happy. When you speak the truth for the purpose of hurting, it's not spoken in love. You don't hurt someone in love. Now, I understand there's times somebody's doing right and you might tell them, say, hey, what you're doing is wrong and you're going to end up in a bad place. But when you're saying something for the purpose of hurting their feelings... That's not spoken in love, even though it may be true. So we have to make sure we speak the truth in love. And how are we edifying? Edifying the body of Christ. First, we are edified through the word of God. We're going to look at more verses. I'm going to try to get through these verses quick. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Y'all know the verses, right? Uh, All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all Good works, right? The word of God. How shall a man, uh, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? Through the word of God. Through his word. If we were honest, and I've said this before, if we were able to have the Holy Spirit go into the computer and put our names on the board, and we put Forced Four Acre, spent this much time reading his Bible this week, and spent this much time praying, right? Tom Yates. Spent this much time in his word, this much time praying. Jack Jenkins spent this much. Most of us would be plumb ashamed. I'm just letting you know. And I called them because I know they won't be offended. Right? Most of us would be absolutely ashamed for people to see how little time we've spent in the word of God. How little time we've spent in prayer, and we come to church and we are edified through the Word of God. The book of James, chapter 1. We'll turn there. James, chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. He says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save our souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. (coughs) Have you ever had this conversation with with your child, teenager? You told him to do something? You come home? It's not done? Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. What did I say? You said to take out the trash. Did did the trash get taken out? No, sir. You heard what I said. Why didn't you do what I said? Right? Listen, it's not good enough. I know some people, they know the word of God backwards and forwards. But their behavior is absolutely unbiblical. Unspiritual. Why? Because they're hearers, but not doers. 
And then he says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So somebody who hears the Bible and doesn't obey the word is like somebody who gets up in the morning, goes and looks in the mirror, sees their hair's a mess. They see they got, you know, what I call them eye boogers. I don't know what the technical term is. You got eye stuff in their eyes. They see uh, that, that, that their breath stinks. They see uh, that they don't have any makeup on if they're ladies. They see maybe that their beard needs to be trimmed. If they're men, they see how much work they need, and then they just walk away and go out in public. You ever looked at somebody and said, did they look in a mirror before they left the house? Right? That, that's what it's saying. It's saying reading the Bible and not obeying it is like looking in the mirror, seeing all the things that need to be fixed and just not fixing it. Just walking off. That's what it's like. Why? We know the truth. It's time to obey his word. And we come to church so that we can hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit can speak to us through the preaching of the word of God so that then we can apply what we learned in our lives Monday through the next Sunday. It is important that we apply the word of God. We are edified through the word of God and we are edified through encouragement and love. The book of John, chapter 13, this is another verse that we should be very familiar with. The book of John, chapter 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So we are to come to church to be edified ourselves through the word of God. And then we come to the church for the purpose of edifying others, treating others with love. Let me go ahead and tell you, you don't gossip about people that you love. I will never go around and start a rumor about my wife or my children. Why? I love my wife. I'm not going to talk bad about my wife. And a good way to start a fist fight is to talk bad about somebody's wife. I'll go ahead and tell you, I know some men. They are as passive as you'll ever meet. But you, listen, somebody messes with their wife. They turn mean. Why? Because they love their spouse. I know some ladies, sweet as they can be, but they hear you say something bad about their man. Woo! You better watch out. You'll see a side of them you didn't know they had. Why? Because you love your spouse and you would not even stand by and allow someone to speak poorly about your spouse. And yet every day we'll stand and let somebody say something bad about the preacher that we say we love. Uh Uh-oh. We will talk bad about that church member that we say we love. Well, you know I love them, but let me tell you, no, it's not the way that works. You don't hurt somebody that you love. And we are to edify. That means lift somebody up. Let me go ahead and tell you, you want to make one of these children's day? Just go up to one of these children and say, hey, that's a pretty dress you got on. Are you like it? They get excited, the little kids, they get excited about their dress. You know what I try to make a point of doing? And it's hard. I'm a man. I, I, I try. I don't always do it. I try to notice when one of these little girls gets their hair cut. Did you get a haircut? I did. They get excited because you notice their haircut. 
Well, that's a, that's a very small thing, but you know what? They get excited because Brother Forrest noticed my haircut. Just some little encouraging, edification, make somebody's day happier. People shouldn't come to church and leave and say, God, man, I, I, I might have to avoid so-and-so because every time I go to church and see them, they put me in a bad mood. Man, that, that's not the way it should be. We should be looking for opportunities to lift each other up, not tear people down. That's not what the goal is. That's not what we come to church for. You never know when you say something to somebody, it could be that last straw that makes them leave church and never come back. I've had people say stuff to me. And, I, and, I, and, I've, and I've said it. I've told Pastor Joe. I said, listen, I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, I, I've always been the kind of person who, listen, I, I'm going to do... I'm, I'm going to be who I am, and if you don't like me, that's fine. I'm going to assume you're the problem. I mean, that's just the way I've always been. Um, but I told Pastor Joe, I said, if, if, I was, if I was struggling and this was said to me, that could be something that makes me leave the ministry. It's, I'm just telling you. You just never know what people are dealing with. You never know the struggles that people are having. They are already feel like they are just drowning and you're going to come and throw a brick on top of them. That's, that's not what we're here for. That's not what our job is. That is not how we edify the body of Christ through love. I don't have time to go through it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of us know it. and You can go back and you can read it after, after church. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Y'all know the verses, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't puff itself up. You know, this, is, this is not me quoting. This is the edited version, right? And it talks about all these things of love. You've probably heard it read a hundred times at a wedding, right? Well, I want you to understand, and if you read that at your wedding, that's fine. I'm not, not talking bad about you. But that's not a wedding chapter. Paul is not talking to a bride who's getting married when he wrote 1 Corinthians. What's the, who's the letter of the 1 Corinthians to? Does anybody know? To the church at Corinth. That's, that's what the Galatians is to the church at Galatia. Philippians is the church at Philippi, if you didn't know that. Corinthians to the church at Corinth. Right? He's not talking to people who are getting married. He's talking to church people. He's talking to Christians. And he says, hey, when you love your brother in Christ, you need to love them with patience. You need to love them with kindness. You need to love them with humility. That is the kind of love... Obviously, we should have for our wives, but that's the kind of love I should have for every person in this room. Why? I I should have a desire to put myself last and put you first. If I can be an encouragement to you, I should be willing to do whatever I can to be an encouragement to you. And that's not just because I'm the associate pastor. That's because I'm a Christian brother in Christ. And it's all of our job. Can you imagine how wonderful our marriages would be if every husband woke up tomorrow and said, today I'm going to find a way to encourage my wife. I'm going to love her and I'm going to be kind to her and I'm going to make her day. And every wife woke up and said, you know what? Today I'm going to find a way to love my husband and I'm going to be kind to him and I'm going to treat him with love and I'm going to find a way to be an encouragement to him. And all day they were just competing on how they can love and encourage one another. Right? That'd be a good day in the household. You know what kind of day we'd have in the house of the Lord if everybody walked into this house and said, you know what, I'm going to find every opportunity I have and I'm going to encourage somebody. 
I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to be kind to somebody. I'm going to find a way to lift people up. I'm not here to tear people down. And everybody walked in the room with that attitude. And everybody here was competing on how quick. Well, you know, I, oh, sorry, I already lifted them up. I already encouraged them. You got to go find somebody else to love and lift and encourage. And we were competing on how well we could love and lift and encourage one another. You want to know? That's how, the, that's how the pews will be filled. Why? Because people don't get that in the world. If people wanted drama, they'd, they'd go to work. Plenty of work, plenty of drama at work. They don't come to church for drama. If they wanted somebody to talk bad about them, you know, they'd go home because their spouse talks bad about them. Or their kids talk bad about them. If they wanted somebody to make them feel bad, they'd watch the news. I don't care. Pick a news channel. You watch it long enough, you'll start feeling bad about something. That's not why we come to church. We come to church to worship a holy omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God who was willing to send his son down to die on the cross and to pay for our sins. And we come to church so that we can lift one another up, so that we can be an encouragement to one another. And we come to church so that we can get what we need from the preaching and from the music and from the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ to go out into this crazy world Monday through Saturday and live a Christian life Monday through Saturday so that next Sunday we can show up and we say, listen, I'm drained. I need to go back to church so I can get filled up again and do it for next week. That's why we're here. And if we came here for any other purpose than to worship God and to encourage the brethren, then maybe we need to figure out why are we going to church? Where's our heart at? Why are we doing what we're doing? As a church, if we could strive for unity and encouragement through kindness and through love and bring others who've not heard the gospel so that they can hear the gospel. Because I'll just go ahead and tell you, the way to grow a church is not hope the church down the street split so we can get some of their members. It's so that maybe we can find somebody who's never heard the gospel and tell them Jesus loves you, died on the cross for you, and if you will just ask him to forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you of everything you've ever done. And he will send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And you can spend eternity with him and have people come and get their hearts right with the Lord. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So I want to encourage every one of you here. Leave Sunday, Monday when you go to work. Find some time somewhere to read your Bible. Find some time to pray. Find some time to encourage somebody. Find somebody who you know struggling in the church and send them a text. Hey, I prayed for you today. Listen, you, that, that, that would be exciting to get a text. So I prayed for you today. Listen, that, that's encouraging to know that somebody thought of you, loved you enough to take time and pray for you. It's a wonderful thing. And it's our job as Christians to show his love. Everywhere we go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray that you'd be with us, Lord. It's easy to get into a rut. It's easy to get into a habit. It's easy to get distracted by problems. It's easy to get focused on issues. Lord, I pray that you would help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to show up and take the time to realize who you are. 
that you are a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And we have no right to be proud of anything. And I pray you help us to humble ourselves and pray like you said. Seek your face. And I pray that you will help us to go out throughout the week and live the word. Be 